So last week, or last couple weeks, I was drawn to teach out of the James chapter 1. And I told Gordy, and I was like, Gordy, I'm doing the whole chapter. And he was really proud of me. I cut it in half. Um, so here we are for part two. Now Gordy's really extra proud of me because I cut part two in half. <laughs> um, as I started going, it was just, there was just so much, there was just so much. And to try to hurry through it and just to get to the end, even though it's not the end, um, just didn't feel right. So um, in Build My Life, oh yeah, here we go. From Broken Cracks to Buried Treasure. That, so last time, we, Cheryl, you can throw up the slide from the couple weeks ago. So this was, it was just a crack. I don't know if you guys remember or heard online my analogy of a windshield. Um, so we started there, and then you can go back to my slide for today. Um, so we're going from a broken windshield to buried treasure. Um, in the song Build My Life, I don't know if it was the bridge or the chorus or whatever, but it said, show me who you are, fill my heart with love, and lead me into love for those around me. Last week was um, us really leaning into who is this God that we believe in on some level. Show me who you are. Um, just for a little recap, uh, I use this analogy of a windshield, and from the time we're really young, we, we experience pain, suffering, um, trauma, and that, I, it, it's like a chip in your windshield. Um, from a very young age, your, your security has already been compromised. Outside of your own control, outside of the best intentions of others, you've already been compromised. And as the pressures grow and cold weather hits or whatever, that chip turns into a crack, and as those cracks continue to be unaddressed, um, our vision of where we're going um, and how to see clearly starts to get like skewed. Um, and usually there's two different ways that we will sit behind that windshield. One of them is we're looking through the cracks, we're, 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 we're trying to just stay on the path, whatever it takes, no matter you know, no matter how distorted it is, we're just going for it. And completely um, ignorant to, like, this massive restriction. <laughs> like, we can't see clearly. And so it really creates a distorted view and a distorted view of truth. Um, or we are so consumed and so angry and so hurt by our view of just all this mess. And we are not even looking where we're going. We don't care where we're going. We're so caught up in this, um, in our pain. And we're driving off the road. We're hitting, I mean, who knows what direction we're going into, and we're just kind of bulldozing through. Um, but both of these have something in common. And it's so crazy that Joe brought this up because... We didn't really talk about anything, <laughs> but um, 
it's this fear that this windshield, in my analogy, this windshield that has protected us, that we, the only thing we know that's keeping us safe from whatever is out there, that's, that's our protection. And so we hold on to that. Whatever it is, we're holding on to that. And we won't let it go because we're afraid of what's out there. And so we kind of just, last week I just ended it with this, like it is so important for us to ask the question, is God really good? Is the universe that he created at its core, is it, is it good? <laughs> um, Einstein, who we know as we might as well, like, make genius his synonym, right? <laughs> um, at the end of his life, after everything he studied and, like, you know, brainiac over, he posed this as the most important question he's ever asked for himself. And his suggestion was this is just the best, like, the most important question we as humanity can ask. But it's, is our universe friendly? Do we live in a friendly universe? And I thought that was strange for someone who was so smart for that to be his dying statement. Um, but after studying this, like James is making this very apparent that it is important. Um, again, in Build My Life, I was just meditating on these words, and it was like, your love, I'm going to butcher it, but your love, that's the foundation. That's how we move forward. If we can't trust that God is good and that he's got us and that he has our, be our best intentions in mind, full of compassion and able to hold us in our pain and in our mistakes, we're going to hold on to that cracked, broken, distorted windshield with all we got because it's the only thing protecting us in our belief. Um, so that is, that was kind of part one. <laughs> Just thought it'd be good to review. Um, but as we move forward, um, I'm just going to start in James 1, uh, verse 13. Put it up there. So we left off at verse 12 last time. Um, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, James is saying, God doesn't create, he doesn't cause or intend for the hardships and the suffering and the pain. Another word for that is testing. Um, God doesn't bring that on us. This, this is what James is saying. And so then our next question is, well, maybe he doesn't cause it but he allows it. And I, I've always said that. Yeah, God doesn't cause famine and hunger and wars. Like, he doesn't cause it. It's like, no, he allows it. But he does allow it. And honestly, this idea is what has created many atheists of our day, is not the fact that they don't believe in God, but they're, a lot of their sayings are, I can't, I won't, believe in a God who allows such evils. And 
I honestly don't blame them. Um, <laughs> so James throws that out there, and then he continues. If we can go to verse 14. But each person is tempted or tested when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Um, in another translation, it says lust. And I know when we hear lust, we think a misplaced sexual desire. Um, but it is actually a lot deeper than that. Um, lust starts with a perceived lack. And from that lack, you begin to fantasize fulfilling it. A relationship, a job, money, whatever it may be. But all of this is created outside of reality and is merely in your head. So when you go, begin to go after it, you deny reality to get it. Um, making the subjects involved, people, animals, our planet, um, less than what they are. You turn these subjects into objects in order to attain something that was only perceived and doesn't actually align with reality. Um, <laughs> simple example. How many of you guys experience road rage? And if not every hand is up, I'm going to be questioning you. <laughs> that is like my one thing. <laughs> I don't get mad a lot. Um, at least, like, externally mad. But when there is another car in front of me that doesn't turn on their blinker, or whatever it may be, I get so mad. And I don't feel bad about it. I'll tell that person how to drive the whole time I'm following its butt, whatever it is. <laughs> um, but it's because I am getting mad at that Ford Explorer, or the driver of that Ford Explorer. I have diminished my anger. I have, a, I have, um, what's, uh, I have like compensated for my anger, excused my anger because I was able to take what I was mad at and make it into just simply an object, an object that I can get mad at. Um, and we do this with a lot of things. Um, it's how. Honestly, it's how we justify killing them Nazis or them terrorists. Like, we have reduced the actual humans involved into merely their belief or organization or their, their, the color of their skin. Like, that, that is lust. Uh, will you go on to the next? Then after lust or desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So lust comes from, like I said, it comes from, an, it comes from a lack. You feel lack, and then it leads to all these other things. So we feel lack, and it gives birth to sin. Now, a lot of times, and especially in religion, we are all about getting rid of sin. If we can get rid of sin, like that's our end goal, and so that's what we focus on. Um, Jesus actually never focused on that external expression. Um, he always went to the heart. Do not lust, 
do not be angry. Like, he would go past the external expression, which is sin, and go to the root below. Um, Because that is ultimately what brings us into this cycle. I love how they use conceived and birth, because birth is this, it's, you plant a seed, you're born, and then you, you, that birth, from that birth, you plant a seed, so it's a cycle. And so we're stuck in this cycle of death, because we keep transmitting our pain. Um, but I love this quote from a teacher that I um, just, he's helped me see a lot of things. But anyways, this is one of my favorite quotes by him. If you don't transform your pain, you transmit it. If we don't transform our pain, we'll transmit it. You have experienced hurt in your life from someone who was hurting, who was hurt by someone else, who was hurt by someone else, who was hurt by someone else. In God's description of who he is in Exodus, um, I didn't bring up the verses, but he gives all these descriptions of who he is and ends with this super confusing line. And, you're gener- and you will be punished into the seventh generation. Um, I wish I had the verse up in front of me because I don't want to butcher it. But anyways, you can look it up. And I've always questioned that. And a lot of times when God gives us something like an, that feels like an ultimatum or a, you do this, so I'm going to do this, that's never the case. Um, a lot of our translations make it sound like that. But honestly, the more I've gotten to know God's character and, like, kind of worked out some things that I believe that I didn't even realize I believed, um, God doesn't give us ultimatums like we picture a parent with their kids saying, don't eat that cookie or you won't get to take a bath tonight or whatever it is. Like, we do these, like, exchanges and in, we are so conditioned to these types of exchanges that I think we see that we imagine that that's what God is doing to us because that's been our experience with parental relationships. Like every parent has said, like, if you don't eat your dinner, you can't go play with your friends. Like there's always this, this or that. But God, whenever he is giving us these um, instructions, he's explaining to us cause an effect. He created reality. He, he is the creator of what we experience, and he knows it inside and out. And so whenever he's giving us these instructions, he's saying, if you do that, this is the effect. This is what happens. And he doesn't bring it onto us. And in a way, we almost don't even bring it onto ourselves because we're stuck in a cycle. I don't know how many of you have heard of family or friends or actually experienced it where it's like, oh, divorce is just like, just this thing in our family that just keeps, like it's just generational or alcoholism, like even diseases, like there's this sense of like um, uh, generational passing on. And it's not that God caused it, it's just that is the cycle of death. So, <laughs> the, the, the goal and the thing that Jesus came to teach us is how to 
transform it so that we don't keep continuing this cycle of death. Um, this is where my metaphor of the windshield gets left behind. A wise person once said, metaphors are amazing and they help us uh, bring us to our point, but every metaphor walks with a limp because truths are a lot deeper than the, the physicality, like there's just so much more that a metaphor helps, but every metaphor walks with a limp. So this is where um, a new metaphor kind of came in and um, Cheryl, if you'll pull up 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, uh, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You can go to the next verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Um, us, in the Greek, is simply ego. Um, it's really interesting because as I was looking at the different uses of I and you and us, us is, referring, us is literally the Greek word for ego. And before I go on, just like a quick side note, um, there are two parts of us. Uh, Paul talks about this a lot. I think Jesus even references it. Um, a lot of teachers nowadays with the language that we've developed from a lot of therapy and stuff is we have our ego and we have our soul, and both are a part of us. Um, but the ego is the part of us that protects um, our, one of our teachers at Multnomah uh, actually brought this up, and at first I was so confused. But she was saying, the ego's not bad. Don't get mad at your ego. It's doing its job. It's protecting you. But it is revealing the deeper issue below, and that is that trust issue that we feel like we need to protect because we've been hurt. Um, but from that, we are not trusting that God will protect us. So you can go to the next verse. That was just my little side note. Um, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Um, pretty wordy. I had to read verse 10 and 11 multiple times. <laughs> and I was just looking at like, what is he saying? So I'm not going to pretend I fully understand it. I think there's a lot there. But... Honestly, the gist is what Gordy has been preaching or speaking over us for months now. Seth brings it up a lot. And it's John 14, verse 20. <laughs> God and me, I and you, and me and them. It's this idea that God who is in Jesus, Jesus who is in God, is also in us. Um, 
Why that's so important, I think we're still discovering. But in 2 Corinthians here, um, I just get this sense that we've been told a lot of times that the cracks, the pain, the suffering in our life is good because um, the cracks in our heart let the light in. You know, I think at some point we maybe have heard that. If not, it's, it's still helpful. But it's so interesting because reading this um, about reading 2 Corinthians and James, there's this, there's this idea that there's light inside of us, that the cracks let the light out. Um, again, in the song, I was just so, I was so amazed. But it was like the light shining through us, not into us but through us. God is in us. We're not waiting around for God to show up. We're not waiting around for God to bring his life into us. He's saying that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, he was there, and he was there in us. Um, If you can go to verse 18. See, I have a little different of a version, but in the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth, aka kind of like 2 Corinthians said, light of the knowledge of the glory of God, so that we could be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. In the exercise of his will, in the very beginning, he chose to give us birth by the word of truth. Um, and John one one, he talks about the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. Um, I think there was one more, with God or of God or something. But anyways, in the beginning was the word, and that word. Um, I think a lot of times we think of the Bible or the word of truth, but the Bible didn't exist in the beginning. The Bible came later. So what is this? Word. What is this word of truth? Um, I'm not going to pretend to fully know, but (laughs) he's saying that what he is is also inside of us. And I think why this is so important, why, why James is bringing it up, and Paul and Jesus, why they're so adamant to say, like, it's not just God out there saving you. Like, he's in you. And I hear a lot of people say a lot, like, there's so much pain and suffering in this world. I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. Um, But Jesus couldn't wait to leave because he, by him leaving, he left a greater helper for us, the Holy Spirit. Um, I wish I would have pulled up the verse. It's in my head, but I don't want to, like, paraphrase it. But at the end, it's towards the end of John. He's saying, like, I am, I am, you should be grateful that I leave because I leave behind a greater helper who can help each and every one of you. And I think why this is just, this is so important. Um, and honestly, guys, like, <laughs> it's been a tough week. Um, and I think God has been using this week to not just teach me the right words to say to you, but he's made, he's made me live it. He's made me live it this week.
And so I come up here not just talking words to you, but like, I just want you to know like my heart for this truth. It's hard. It's sometimes not what you want to hear. Um, a great description of even the book of James is it's a beautifully crafted gut in the punch for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Like, the stuff isn't always easy to hear, but it's what we need to hear. And um, the idea that we have, we have, like through God, we have the power to transform the cycle of death um, in our deepest pain. If we can truly, truly believe it, I've seen it work. Um, and Jesus demonstrated it for us first. The cross was him saying, I'm going to walk to death. I'm not afraid of it because I know life is on the other side. Um, and James keeps referring to this idea of birth. He's, he, um, even later in the passages, like this, this idea of birth being this really, like, full metaphor for this is amazing because for all of you who have been pregnant or had a baby or have had a wife or a spouse or a significant other that has, like, gone through this experience, um, it's easier <laughs> to do this process because I think we do it a lot, but um, just as, like, a society... But when we step into um, just the, the, the biggest physical amount of pain that we know we'll probably ever experience, um, there's this joy behind it. Because we know that if we can make it through, that if we can hit the point where we know it's going to feel the most painful, like there's life right on the other side. I remember, like, contractions were coming. I was feeling the pressure. I was like, okay, whew, this is tough. But I know, like, I was stoked because I'm like, this is good. This is, like, what's going to get the baby here. This is what's going to bring Kaya. And, um, you know, it keeps happening. They keep getting harder and harder and more pressure. And I remember hitting a point, and I'm sure a lot of you women can relate who've had babies. You hit a point where you're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, this hurts so bad. And it was, it's always right when we say that, that we're the closest. <laughs> when we're ready to bail, life is right there on the other side. And the joy that's behind it. And so, um, the joy set before the cross. Like, Jesus knew what he was doing, and he could do it because he believed that uh, he could transform the cycle of death. And this is such a, a deep, um, hard-to-grasp uh, understanding, but I just want you guys just to sit with it um, and ask questions. And, you know, if, if you... If you just ask the questions and walk it out, like, don't, don't do as I do, but be as I was. I love that. Oh, it's, it plays on our, like, kind of over our community um, 
in our welcome slides, that quote from Dallas, because then the natural expression of who we are can like, it will come. Um, whew, I'm getting, I'm, I'm swimming deep, guys. <laughs> I hit a point where I was like, Jackson, I can't write any more words about this. I just have to go up and experience it. He's like, yep, yep, you gotta just go do it. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to encourage you guys. Because I know all of us, to some extent, whether it's past, present, future, whatever it is, it's probably a little bit of everything, experience suffering. And what we want to do is run. We want to protect. We want to run from it. But if we can hold out, and as Joe said, like, let go, let go and trust. And I know we hear this all the time. But there's power in it because when we let go, God, God brings forth the power to transform the pain. There was a lot of times in our first year of marriage with me and Jackson that things would start coming up. I'd start, things from my past would start to get triggered. I'd start being like, it's coming from Jackson, but I don't think he means it. He has the best intentions, but like, all oh, this hurts. And I'd want to run. In fact, there was multiple times in the beginning, I'd just walk out the door and walk around the neighborhood, and Jackson would have to come, like, running out for me. And I'd leave my phone behind intentionally. Like, I'd run from it. And little by little, each time it would come up, and each time I was met by love on the other side, each time I experienced life, and a deeper connection when Jackson would stop me and he'd make me name what I was feeling. Like I was a toddler, which is perfect because I never did that as a toddler. I was never, it was never even a thing. I didn't know how to say, I'm angry. I can say it now. But it took at least a year <laughs> when he'd ask me, babe, what are you feeling? And I'd go, silent for five minutes thinking what I was trying to feel and anyways little by little like each moment that I would enter into trusting that I could just let down my walls and I didn't have to protect because I didn't want to hurt him I didn't want to hurt Jackson I loved him I just promised that in front of like 200 people like I'm not gonna just hurt him so I gotta I gotta hold it back I gotta hold it in I got to protect myself and I got to protect him from whatever is happening inside of me. And he would look at me. He might have mentioned this last time I talked. But he would look at me in the eyes and he'd just be like, babe, it's okay. You can feel. You can let go. And I just like, <sighs> like, I, part of me was like still trying to hold it, but I just like couldn't. Um, and so it's really crazy because in past relationships, like, I would be vulnerable to just keep things better. Like, I'd just be like, I'll take the blame. I'll take the blame. Like, just whatever. Like, it was my fault. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. Um, and I'd be, like, recklessly vulnerable, which just hurt me more. But it was because I felt safe with Jackson that like the vulnerability just like came out of me and I could trust it. And it feels like death 
um, when you're walking towards it. In fact, I had a moment this week where I was walking to a really hard conversation, and I looked over at Jackson, and I was like, man, this must have been what Jesus felt when he was walking to the cross. Except he was just going to die. <laughs> I'm going to, like, be annihilated. No, I, don't know. I was like, I just had all the fears on my head. And I was like, Jesus almost had it better. Like, I'd rather be walking to my deathbed right now than, like, what is possibly, like, right there. Um, And we both had to laugh about that for a second, but also bring it up and be like, wow, this is real. Um, But that same scenario, I, again, guys, like, it, because we walked into it and I could trust that the person loved me, and um, there'd been enough trust built, it actually, like, strengthened the bond. And so I just want to encourage you guys this week, today, whatever it is, like, in those scenarios where you're feeling like you need to protect yourself, to hang on to your assets, to um, protect the others, you have the best intentions. You really do. I did when I freaking just made something 10 times worse. I started with the best intentions. But the best intentions that are coming from a place of, um, like, not trusting. Because <sighs> the best intentions, I was still trying to protect myself. So stepping into those moments is just trust. And um, I just want to encourage you guys that if there's anything like in your life where you're like, I just, I feel hurt in this scenario. I feel like I need to protect myself. Like, I don't know, just sit with it, with God, with you, and trust that you have inside what it takes to transform. Jesus gave us the same power that he presented on the cross and in his life, and he's given it to us. And so when the, crack, when the pressure comes and you feel like you're starting to crack, that means you're close. And um, I, I just want to, yeah, just like say that. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Um, Joe can come up. I actually asked her if she would sing this song. It's a new one, but it really inspired this service today and, or my message, it was kind of what, like, was guiding me through, Um, and it's basically this idea that the biggest crack, the canyon in our life, is the very thing that brings living water to the desert. God, I just, I thank you so much for being here with us today. I just got to bring it to the present moment, even though I know you're always here, um, for just bringing that spirit of unity, spirit of trust. And God, I just pray for each and every person in this room, and whatever small or large or whatever, however they imagine their suffering, and I think for each person, it is different, but for each person, it's significant and it matters and God I just pray that you just hold them 
hold them in that pain. Hold them in this, all this empty space. They don't know what's coming. But God, please just continue to help us learn how to trust you. God, we want to trust you. We want to let go. We want to let go of the things that are keeping us from you. The only thing that holds us back from a new life, from new transformation, is holding on to our old one and our old protective mechanisms. You've promised us so much more. And your burden is light. Your burden is light if we just let go of our heavy one. And yes, we may be crushed and pressed on all sides. Or we may be pressed on all sides, but we're not crushed. We may walk straight into death, to what feels like death, and meet love and life on the other side. Because that is your pattern. That's the pattern you've come to transform. You're not here to just remove everything, but you're here to transform it. And you're using us 